This is Day Beautiful, a podcast that helps readers discover debut authors through in-depth conversations about books, culture, and life. To discover more debut authors, please visit daybeautiful.net and follow Day Beautiful on all social medias at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is a Kundaman Fellow, a Lambda Literary Award finalist, and a National Book Foundation 535 honoree. She's the author of the debut novel, Bestiaria, which is out now via One World. And has a micro chapbook called Bonehouse coming out on Bull City Press in 2021. She's an established poet as well as short story writer. I'm, of course, talking about Kay Ming Chang. Hey, Kay Ming, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. How's everything going in your world? <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm in, I'm in California, mm-hmm. so mm, yeah. uh, it's definitely been very chaotic and mm. very apocalyptic. Um, yeah, have not breathed the air <laughs> for many, many weeks. Yeah, um, I guess let's talk a little bit more about that. I'm, I, I, I now live in Denver, which is like I lived in Phoenix forever. Which I feel like it, when in Phoenix, I got a lot of like the California vibe mm. and even like air patterns. I know this is really weird to talk about, but <laughs> like so, I, I feel like I was more connected to California and Phoenix, but Denver is slightly different. Um, but I've been like mm. watching it on the news. So like, what what is a daily life for you like right now? Are you one hundred percent staying inside? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean I read a, uh, a couple days ago that um, California now has like the worst air quality in the world, um, which definitely made a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, for a while it, it was just permanently night because it, because the there was so much kind of smog trapped in the air and smoke trapped in the air. Um, so that definitely was, yeah, really terrifying. But yeah, I would say because of the air quality, um, most people I think seem to be staying in more. Um, a lot of things that were, uh, a lot, of, a lot more things are kind of shut down um, because of air quality as well. Um, and yeah, and it's really interesting too because I, you know, I hear my family members and other people talk about like they remember this happening, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but they, they, yeah, they just keep saying, oh, it gets worse and worse every single time. Um, yeah, wildfire season. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we had a fire here, um, in the mountains, I guess. And the air quality was I noticeably worse than it normally is, but mm. not anything like I see on the news or photos of friends in California, and it's just like, I couldn't right. even imagine. I feel like that's one thing that people don't really like pick up on. It's like how bad it actually is. They just see like the photos and like, oh yeah, that looks kind of bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, yeah, very, just at no light. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow, wow. And like on top of everything, like like we 2020 has been the most peculiar year before the wildfires. Yeah. And, and, and you're releasing a yeah. book in probably the weirdest time on record for us, for our generation. <laughs> um, tell tell readers a little bit about it, and we'll kind of just talk about a little bit more about the book itself, but I want to hear from your perspective what your debut book is about. 
Yeah, um, I can talk. Yeah, I can talk about um, yeah what B Theory is about. Um, which it turns out I actually don't know how to pronounce the title of my book, which is really interesting to learn. Um, I chose a word that I think is um, can be pronounced in any way that people would like. <laughs> um, so yeah, B Theory is a novel that follows three generations of Taiwanese American women. Um, it uh, in particular it kind of kicks off with the third generation daughter um, who grows a type of tail overnight and has to kind of excavate her family history to figure out the root of this tail, um, to think about what it means to become this tiger, um, this predator. Uh, so it's a lot also about like intergenerational trauma and um, love as well. And it's also a queer love story. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned the book title and I purposely didn't say it because I was like, <laughs> I had been saying Bestiaria yeah. for like a year now. And uh, I think it was in my head, I was spelling it like B-E-A-S-T. And, yeah. and even though I'm looking right at the book title right now and looking at the book, I'm still like in my head. It's just funny to me how you can stare at something for six months and just still misspell it like me. So Yeah. Um, Honestly, I really don't mind however people want to spell it mm-hmm. or say it because I feel like it's in the spirit of the book as well to kind mm-hmm. of just... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, create their own compound word, however they want. <laughs> For sure. And yeah. then, and I normally don't bring up authors' ages, but I'm on your website. And it says you're born mm-hmm. in 1998, which is younger than me by almost a decade. <laughs> uh, so I think you're the youngest writer I've I've ever talked to. So I I, I just want to talk about like your yeah. your drive and and how yeah like you were publishing a book fairly young. Um, yeah. How did this is very broad. How did you get here yeah. in September 2020 publishing a book? Were, yeah. Were you always yeah. interested in um, writing? Yeah. Well, it, it was really, I, I think I, I've always been interested in writing. I think I entered it through poetry um, and writing poetry. Um, and I only actually pretty recently started writing prose um, and like stories and, and things like that. I had I always, I could never imagine myself writing prose. I thought I would always forever just be writing poems. So I never had any expectation necessarily of like, oh, a writing career, because in poetry, obviously there's a lot less kind of capital and money um, in that world. And so, yeah, I never really expected that it would be like this, yeah, that I would ever, you know, be on the shelf of like, you know, a, a chain bookstore or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I wrote a lot. Um, you know, all through school and high school as well. It was always poetry. Um, and then when I went to undergrad, I I took a sh- I ended up taking it was like an accidental prose class because um, it was called Poetry Memoir, taught by Rachel Eliza Griffiths. And I was taking it purely for the poetry aspect, and I completely did not realize um, like that there would be like memoir involved. Um, and then when I ended up writing a piece for that, I realized that a lot of what I loved about writing poetry could be could carry over into prose forms um like playing with language and playing with form and, and memory and um like all of these all these things that kind of drew me um to poetry um and so yeah I started writing more and more prose and it's actually through that class that I ended up writing the first piece of the theory um it was a really short memoir piece um about the grandfather character in the book and it ended up getting cut in the very last edit round um, <laughs> of the of the book and I remember being so sad because I, I was saying like oh this is the very this was the piece that kicked off the book like that the book formed around mm-hmm. 
um, but it no longer belongs because I wrote so far away from that original piece that it was no longer relevant. <laughs> so I ended up wow. cutting it in the last round of edits. Yeah. And with that piece, is that something that you ever think about publishing as a standalone, or is it something that you'll keep private for yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I really, I think part of the reason why I was able to let go of it was I realized that it was really private and that, and and that basically it, I no longer quite understood the motivations of writing it in the first place. Um, it felt a little bit foreign to me, um, a little bit estranged in some way. And so, yeah, I think I, I put it away for a while, but I, I definitely think about returning to it and even just appreciating it as like an artifact (laughs) of that time when I was writing in a way that felt so urgent um, and like so pressing. Like I think I ended up writing the manuscript for B-Siri in like two or three months, which is like wild and I've never written that fast in my life. Um, Yeah, so I I keep it around as as an artifact. Nice, yeah. I feel like a lot of, I talked about this recently with um, Melissa Falvino about how young writers or she like what the the students she teaches at least mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. wants to write something and get it out in the world right then and there um as opposed mm-hmm. to like sitting with it and then growing with it mm-hmm. and then maybe realizing it doesn't need to be published but it it taught you as the writer something that you needed mm-hmm. to grow so that's a refreshing yeah. Here. yeah so yeah that's really beautiful yeah and and and, and you mentioned so in your undergrad you accidentally fell into prose and that's really when you started writing more and more Mm -hmm. away from poetry Mm -hmm. it looks like you've published a lot of prose um (laughs) in the past little bit so like do you just like sit and churn out work or what is what is that like for you because i yeah i'm on (laughs) i'm on your website again yeah it's just like a dozen (laughs) and a half pieces out there already yeah, well, speaking of, of learning to sit on things, I think that's actually something that I'm I'm still learning because I definitely have this urge, like the moment I finish something, even if, it's, even if it's the first draft, I'm like, I want this to be seen by someone, like even if it's just a friend yeah. and not even necessarily in a super like, because it's wonderful, like usually it's just like I have these really strong emotions or feelings and I'm just like, I just want to like be acknowledged in some way of having these feelings. Um, less in like a what an amazing piece of art this is um, so I think I mean after I sit and revise so a lot of times sometimes I even just I mean maybe I'm like a compulsive submitter I don't even know if that's an actual thing but sometimes I submit things even just to feel closure with it like I'll I want to move on from it emotionally. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just send it somewhere. And then that way it forces me not to, to look at it again and go back to it. And, and because I end up doing that so often, um, I think I've built up this like list of publications that maybe I didn't even fully int- intend. But um, I also, I also think it's really wonderful too, because something that you don't get in the poetry world is that in, in the poetry world, when you submit, you get an acceptance or rejection and that's it. And then they publish it. And then with prose, like every single, almost every single publication that I've submitted to, there's some kind of round of edits or um, like you'll get edits of some kind. And I remember being shocked and like thinking, oh my God, must be my piece is like exceptionally bad. And so you have to edit it. And then I talked to other people and they're like, no, that's like poetry so weird. You never edit when you submit to places. I was like, never, Mm -hmm. Um, at least my experience. And, um, and so 
yeah, like being in that edit process with someone with someone else about a piece, I think is is also really incredible, um, and is something about the prose world that um, doesn't really happen as much in the poetry world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like when when you're working with an editor, um, very broad question, I know, but mm-hmm. how how, how does how does that work for you? Like, what do you what are you looking to take away from an editor when they're talking to? Yeah, I think. Yeah, just hearing their impressions and interpretations of the piece mm-hmm. is always really, really, really interesting to me. Because I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure all writers and everyone really feels this way, where when they're close to something, they can't see it at all. <laughs> like, it's just completely, like, foggy and blurred. And um, I think other people have much more clarity about um, your work than, than myself, I know. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it helps me even appreciate what I'm doing more, because I... Otherwise, I would just be like hiding myself and be like, I don't really, I don't really know what I'm, what like the patterns of my work are. Um, and I think I feel like working with editors has allowed me to actually see like, oh, what my obsessions are, what I tend to do, like my patterns. Um, yeah, and also just like the, the editors are just so much more brilliant at like knowing how to make things work. Um, and things, I, I mean, I always struggle with things like form as well, and I always feel like editors know the shape of something and are able to have that more like zoomed out view um which is definitely something like i (laughs) i i have no perspective on (laughs) with bc area i found like it's one of those novels where when i'm trying to explain it to someone i can't just Mm -hmm. and, and there's a few writers like this where it's like oh it's about the book is about the book like it's not for to me (laughs) <laughs> um and and you mentioned it was written fairly quickly the, like the first draft um yeah what was it like putting this together cuz there's a lot of moving pieces you know three generations yeah. a lot of different voices did did you just yeah like, i guess did you go with the flow did you have a set idea of the voices you wanted how did bc area unfold mm-hmm. in your mind yeah, no, that's a great question, and I feel like branching off of the editor question makes so, so much sense, too, because I feel like this series is a book that came out in edits and not in my drafting process, mm-hmm. um, like, at all, because I, even though I wrote it only in a couple months, I've been editing it for actually, it's been two years since, yeah. since like, since that first draft, so it definitely, everything came out in edits, um, and I think when... I, I originally was drafting it, it was always about, it was a collection. It, it, it was always these disjointed pieces mm-hmm. that each had its own arc. And that was one of the big edits that I got when I was first working with the book was that every chapter had its own arc, but it needed a larger arc um, throughout it. Um, so structuring it less as a collection and more as something that could be, yeah, in which all the sections were kind of inextricable from each other. Like, that was something I had never envisioned before that, like, really long edit process. But I think in terms of the different voices, um, daughter's voice and the grandmother's voice in the letters um, came really, really early on. And the mother's sec- the mother, mother sections, actually, I, I wrote them the very last. Um, and it was, so, it was so strange because I had I'd written all the letters that were in the grandmother's voice and then all the daughter's sections. And that very, very last section... It was almost kind of like the bridge between the two. When I was writing the mother section, after I finished it, I was like, okay, I'm done writing. Like, I, I knew that I had finally gone where I wanted to go, 
Um, and that last piece that I wrote ended up being the first chapter of the book, which is really interesting. It was almost like I was writing backwards. <laughs> um, but once I got to her chapter and section, it just, everything kind of like opened up for me. Um, and I realized like the urgency of her voice is really important and central. Um, and that this was go- going to be like three different generations, but also that it was going to be a bit like meta and mm-hmm. um, like stories about stories. And um, so I knew it was always going to be chaotic, <laughs> Um, but I think I, I never envisioned it as a whole, um, and that came much later. Yeah, and then I, I, I was going to talk about like the editing process since then, and you, and you brought it up. So you sold the book like mm-hmm. almost two years ago. Was it like December yeah. of 2018? It looks. I yeah, think, yeah, I think it was like October 2018, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, two years ago, and then you're, you're editing it, you're working on it. And, and you already touched upon this, but what did you know after you finished that first draft, what did you know needed to happen? Yeah, I mean, definitely that it needed a plot. <laughs> um, it needed cohesion of some kind. Um, and also, I think I like the relationship between Ben and, and the daughter, um, which is kind of now like a central through line of the book. Like originally that had only been like a very brief, chapter of the book it was like one chapter dedicated to the relationship and at the end you know she she left like she moved away or like I kept copying out of it and I kept like finding ways to separate them um I I think at one point I even like invented another character to like separate them and I kept doing that and I realized this because at the time when I was writing it I couldn't like imagine a way for them to be be together like I just I think my uh, yeah, I just, I had some kind of own, like, internalized, <laughs> I don't even know, like, internalized homophobia or something like that, that, like, kept me from being able to imagine them, imagine a future for them. Um, and then, yeah, in edits, I, I got a note that was like, oh, you know, I feel like this relationship is is something that can be a through line in the book. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, this would be, like, the ultimate challenge to me. <laughs> it's like, keeping them together, imagining their future. And that became so important to the book, their relationship. Like it, it be- took on a life of its own. Um, and yeah, and so that's one thing that I think is like really majorly different to um, that came out in edit. And so a lot of, a lot of that was basically, I mean, it was editing, but it was creating a whole new through mm-hmm. line and, and cr- like creating a large chunk of the book mm-hmm. then in the past two years. Oh, yeah. The the holes didn't even exist in the book until, like, midway through the edits process. Um, like, the holes that were spitting out the letters. Like, originally, the letters were all just in one chunk. They were just, like, one chapter full of letters. And I was like, I have no idea what to do with these letters. Um, I I just thought they were interesting, that the voice in them was interesting, but I don't really know what they're doing. Um, and, like, the the holes actually came out because I remember I was I was reading an article about um, like a city that I had lived in where and there's like a giant landfill in it and the city was like, oh, we want to, and the, the nickname for it was like based on the smell that came from the landfill um, and the city had released something like, oh, we're like going to spend, you know, $200,000 to figure out what the source of the smell is. And I'm like, oh, it should be really obvious what the source of the smell is. It's clearly the landfill. Like, I don't know what you need to investigate. They're like, well, I wonder why it stinks. <laughs> And I'm like, because there's a landfill. Um, and the more I was thinking about like that presence of a landfill in my life, um, the more I was like, oh, I want to write about land as like this, like living, breathing, <laughs> like 
dirty pooping thing as well. And so that's when the holes came about, but that was like fairly late in the process as well. And, and all of these characters are so like, they're memorable for me. I don't think I've read mm-hmm. anything or many things like these characters. Um, and I know when I was like, just like creeping on your Instagram and Twitter, just like looking mm-hmm. at like what you had talked about, about the book, you mentioned about how mm-hmm. like you struggled to find fiction about characters like this growing up. Um, mm. So there's not really a question more so as like how, how important was it for you to write the characters that you've always wanted to read about? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that question. Um, I feel like it goes well with what I was saying about like not being able to imagine a future for these characters and how this was like an active imagination and creation that I think was in, in a lot of ways really healing too. Um, to be able to imagine so fully the, um, these characters' lives on the page and so full of, like, magic and and wonder, too, I hope. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was always really important to me, especially writing about these Taiwanese-American characters who, I feel like when Taiwanese-Americans are represented in literature, they're often, um, yeah, really wealthy or they are, they have ties to, um, like, they're, they're the remnants of, immigrants from mainland China to Taiwan to America. Um, and I, I was interested in those stories as well, but I was interested too in indigenous Taiwanese um, characters and um, yeah, exploring this kind of like not very represented at all tied to Taiwanese land in this really specific way. Um, yeah. And so like, I think for me, it, it was so inextricable from the mythology of the book as well. Like, I, I couldn't imagine these myths kind of belonging to anyone else. Um, and, yeah, there was this, there was definitely this sense of urgency of, like, I don't know, I felt like it was almost writing itself <laughs> because I felt so, um, I felt such, I felt such a presence of, of these characters um, and this, like, indigenous Taiwanese mythology, yeah. Yeah, it's just sorry. I was I'm like now as I'm talking, I'm like clicking through your web website, and uh, I was on like the what to read next according to your zodiac animal. And uh, oh yeah, <laughs> and which I don't know. I I should be more focused on what you're saying, but I was just like oh, I want to. I forgot to read this earlier. Um, yeah. I just oh feel, no, no, that's I, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like 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 your book did things, and, and like you've touched upon everything about how like the mythology, the talking about these characters, the the queerness of things, the relationships. Mm. And yeah, I I feel like this is one of the most like wholly original books I've read in a really long time where I didn't know what to expect while reading it, even though like, (laughs) like, because like you said, there is a plot, like you eventually did in the edits come up with a plot, but yeah, but the type of books I love are the ones where it's like, I have like, yes, I understand like I'm following certain characters, but really it's like, I'm learning something about myself more so. Mm. And, and 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 I know like you just like reading through um like blurbs and press stuff it's like a lot of people talk about Helen Oyoyemi and um yeah and 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 I'm sure you've heard that since like you've sold the book for the past two years but right. I, I really did make that connection and, and and oh I'm so glad yeah and it's like and when I, and when I spoke I spoke with her about uh her latest book and oh wow 
and yeah, it's just like talking to you and talking to her, even at how you guys talk about the books is interesting. It's very similar. And, and, and I find oh, that, and I just find that interesting because it's like books that are similar. I, I have started to notice the writers do speak about literature mm. and their work in a very similar way. Um, when you were writing this, did you, aim, I love that. Uh, yeah. When you were writing this, did you aim like, did you know you were writing sim like similarly to her work or any other work or like when you're writing just poetry or prose, like, is that mm -hmm. something that's in your mind that it's like, I am inspired by X. Yeah, no, for sure. Definitely. I think maybe like in the actual writing itself, like you tend not to think about those things because um, it's so like, you're just so focused on, you know, the micro level of this sentence, the sentence. But I think zooming out and also like, knowing the motivations for my writing have always been really influenced by other writers like Helen Oyemi, um, and Maxine Hunkingston and so many other writers, I think, who use magic and speculative elements and also history, memory and myth in really interesting ways. Um, and definitely like once in a while, I'll read that a book that I just, I like put it down in the middle of reading it and just like open up a word document and start writing. Um, because, I feel so energized and inspired. Um, Santos Cisneros is another writer who I feel this all the time, um, like especially in the language level of sentences. Um, yeah, so definitely it's, it's, it's conscious. Um, and I love also reading um, works in translation um, because I feel like I love when language is a little strange. <laughs> like there's, there's just something that's just, it feels like it's, I don't know, it's its own syntax, its own language. Um, and I feel like I get that a lot reading from, reading works in translation. Um, and so, yeah, like all of those things I think are influences, um, even even if not totally consciously. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, this is something I meant to ask earlier, but you, you alluded to it here about the sentence level of, of what you're, mm. like the sound and, and, and what you're writing as someone who wrote poetry and writes poetry primarily and and now you've found prose what, what do you what are you thinking about on that sentence level what what do you want a sentence to do when you're actually sitting down to write mm, I love this question yeah I think I always want to I think surprise myself um which is I know something a lot of writers say too of like wanting to surprise themselves when they write um but I love that feeling of starting a sentence and the way it ends is like, whoa, I did not know we were going there, um, which happens to me a lot sometimes. I'm like, whoa, that really escalated or whoa, that was not the image that I was expecting to come from this. Um, so I think, you know, with poetry, the way line breaks work as, as surprise, I think uh, we're like breaking the language a bit. Like I love, yeah, I love how sentences can kind of, I don't know, snake away from you. Um, and sometimes my sentences end up being like ridiculously, ridiculously long and run on because I want to just like keep following the logic of it and just like keep going and going and pushing something from it. Um, it's also like something that I struggle with too. Like sometimes I push the sentence too much and it just is like totally nonsensical, but I think it sounds good. <laughs> and that's something in edits too that I'm always like, I really appreciate when someone's like, I, this sounds nice, but I have no idea what it means. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I need that because I get so caught up in how it sounds and like, oh, I like these, how these words look together that sometimes like 
meaning <laughs> completely escapes me and I'm like oh yeah I forgot that sentences are actually like they're also utilitarian <laughs> and they should actually be doing something too um, because I'm so kind of like yeah just obsessed with oh like this word it sounds interesting yeah mm-hmm. after you write a sentence like that and before an editor takes a look at it do you ever look back at thing at your sentences or do you just let them be until until you're done with the work before you like go back and line edit Oh, yeah, no, I'm completely deluded. I always think it's, like, perfect. I'm like, yeah, this sentence that has that means nothing, but, like, has a lot of, like, cool L words or, like, consonants or assonants or all these things. Um, I always just keep it in because I, I don't know, it's almost like a game sometimes. Like, it it feels, like, it's always really, it feels really playful, mm-hmm. even when the sentence is, like, completely, like, meaningless. I'm like, oh, that was really fun to write. And so I like to keep it around. And then later I'm like, okay, this is, this has to leave. Yes. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I love when a sentence that I guess really doesn't mean anything, but it just adds to the page. It is fun to come across as a reader. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and your poetry, are, are, like right now, I guess, would you say you're writing more prose or poetry or is it whatever fits your day best oh yeah I think I'm definitely writing more prose now I think it was like a little bit of a a shift in me or something got like unlocked um and not to say that I won't ever return to poetry um and I still do read a lot of poetry but I think that's that's definitely the mode that I'm in and it's almost it's been really generative for me too because I think with poetry I kind of like worked myself into a box where I, I started to feel really scared when I was like confronted with that blank page because I thought about how precise poetry is and how every word I had just had like ridiculously high expectations for myself. Um, whereas with prose, I, I feel right now like kind of like liberated from all of those expectations because I still consider myself an amateur in so many ways. And so I, yeah, I am able to kind of yeah, act like a beginner. Um, and yeah, it makes the process a lot more, I think, interesting and um, less intimidating. Do you ever find yourself writing notes as poetry that find them that, like its way into your prose? Mm, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think some lines from poems or like from failed poem drafts actually made it into B theory. The line that actually a bunch of a lot of people ended up liking, which I was really surprised by, like the the line about um wow, cannot even remember my own writing. But it was basically the gist of it was the idea of like burial is beginning and that to to plant to grow something you have to dig a grave for its seed. Um and I I yeah and afterwards like I remember publicity was like, oh you have to make like quote cards of this and we really love it. It's so beautiful. Um, and I was like, oh, that was a really failed poem. Like, um, that line, it was like the last line of, of a very terrible failed poem um, that ended up kind of being cannibalized <laughs> by the by the prose manuscript. Um, and a lot of like little lines from these theory, like I read them and I, I, I still remember the, the drafts that they came out of, um, but they were all written around the same time. So I think they were all coming out of the same consciousness. Mm. Yeah, and, and I, I've noticed in a lot of reviews or talking to like booksellers that I know who have read your book, um, mm. the, the like the poetic writing, you know, like that's what a lot of like mm-hmm. writers love to hear that because like that is like writing is writing and that's what makes it beautiful. 
Mm. And I, and I, like, I guess, like, while I was reading it, I don't think I had, like, discovered you as someone who had written poetry. And it, mm. after I, like, finished the book and started, like, looking you up and everything, I was like, oh, this makes 100% sense. It is, like, <laughs> <laughs> very beautifully written. And, and on top of, like, everything else, like, that's what really drew me to Bestiary. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and I sometimes I get like very fanboy with with people I talk to just because like I I was truly blown away. And now that I know you're like nine years younger than me, I'm like, wow. Well, what was I doing nine years ago? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to like not that people compare each other. Like writers could talk about comparing each other to, to each other, but uh. It's just interesting, like that this was produced, like so well and so so early in someone's career. Like I talked to a, oh, all debut you. writers, obviously for this project, and right. uh, like different like people who are your age, some people who didn't publish until until they were fifty five, and it's right. it, it, it's humbling and, and a good reminder that writers come from. This is very dumb, but writers come from everywhere, and yeah, and the story. <laughs> like, but it's always a good reminder just to be like. Um, I'm glad that, like, the literary world exists to like, remind me of what the world is like. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, your writing, we talked about how, like, some of the people that have inspired you and and how you'll be reading something and then all of a sudden need to, like, you're, you're energized to write. Um, what books yeah. recently, I guess, or writers in general that have, have you really been drawn to that have inspired you? Yeah, I think definitely um, when writers Miriam Gruba, I just read her book. Um, well, she has a memoir called Mean that um, is incredible, but I just read a book um, by her called Dahlia Season. Um, it's a novella and stories. Um, I'm working on short stories right now. So it was, yeah, it was so, um, they're so kind of violent and um, beautiful and revealing Um and very queer, um, which is something I really love. Um, and it's the kind of writing, like, I, I feel like all writers wish they could be another kind of writer. Um, and this is the kind of writing that I wish, um, like, I could channel that kind of energy. It's just so incredible. Um, and another book that I've read, or I guess awesome, because I've read two of his books, like, back to back, really recently, um, Echo on the Bay and Lion Cross Point by Masatsuku Ono. Um, I, it's really interesting because I went into these books thinking I knew what to expect and then I completely, it kind of blew my mind. Um, one thing that I really appreciate about him as a writer is that he kind of acknowledges Japan's colonial, um, past, the imperialist past, um, which, you know, as like a Taiwanese American writer is, and also Chinese American writer is so kind of important to me and is something that I don't often see in Japanese literature, um, is a kind of reckoning with colonial violence, um, imperialism, um, and, like, the ghost of, um, of, of racism as well. Um, so it was, it was just really incredible. Um, and they're also just, like, beautifully written. Um, and I think most recently, too, um, this is a book of poetry um, by Francine J. Harris, um, who's a poet that I really love, um, called Here's the Sweet Hand. Um, I just started reading it. <laughs> so, uh, but my thoughts are already that Francine J. Harris is like a language genius. Um, 
and that they're just so there, there's like a playfulness with language and then a real like weight to, to every line as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what poetry like growing up and and what mm-hmm. what yeah, what was the poetry that inspired you originally to to dive into poetry? Yeah, I mean, there were so many. Um, Natalie Diaz's po- poetry, um, When My Brother Was an Aztec, which is a book by her, which I also feel like it's so, in some ways I'm like, this is what I think novels are trying to do, but they like cannot ever do. <laughs> um, so it's just like, as a book, I think it's just like, it's just incredible. Like it might, it's probably, I don't know, the best book ever. <laughs> um, and you know, there's also Ocean Wong's poetry, which I think um, has influenced so many. I think um, like, Asian American writers as well, which is really incredible to see um, how so many kind of lineages are inspired by Ocean Wong. Um, also, yeah, there are other poets like Lee Young Lee as well, um, also an influence on Ocean Wong, um, which is really amazing. <laughs> um, another lineage. Um, yeah, and I also think like poets that like Vivi Francis, um, who also I think writes about the pastoral and um, animals and nature in a really, really interesting way. Um, and as someone who now, I guess, writes about animals, <laughs> um, definitely really inspiring and influential too. And then with, with, now that you're, you said you're working on stories, wh- what are you, mm. what are you exploring with these stories? Like what themes or, or, um, like style or genre are you, are you playing mm. with right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's, actually in a lot of ways really similar to these theories. Mm-hmm. Um, so the stories were all kind of written after these theories, um, mm-hmm. which is a lot of like magical realism and like ma- the magic and mundane kind of clashing. Um, and then a lot of exploration of memory and inheritance. So a lot of really similar themes, but I think the short story form is even more freeing in so many ways, I think for experimentation um, and playing with language. Um, so I'm definitely also trying to, um, yeah, there's kind of a story that is written, in a, it's like very controversial whether it's a poem or a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've asked them before and they're like, it's a poem, no, it's a story, which is really fun to kind of play on that border. A very special thank you to Kaming Chang for joining us on the podcast today. Her website is kmingcheng.com. She's on Instagram under kmingcheng and Twitter is k underscore mingcheng. Please check her out and read Bestiary. It's one of the best and most beautifully written books I have read this year. A very special thank you to my friend Raquel, who is letting me use music from her brand new music project, Rocky Colin. As always, you can find me at daybeautiful.net. All of the social media is at daybeautiful. Please subscribe to the podcast and keep checking out the website for more interviews and book recommendations. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.
please check out her music at rockycollin.com. 